Worried you'll need to babysit your robot vacuum? Think again. Meet Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum with AI-powered navigation to recognize and avoid over 100 objects. It's the winner of five Best of CES awards. And Digital Trend says it boasts almost all the same features as robot vacuums that cost twice as much. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to the Championship Podcast, bringing you all the goals and all the drama from the second tier of English football, the EFL Championship. We're, of course, joined by Lewis, Hull City fan. Lewis, how are you? I'm great, Charles. How are you doing? I am not too bad. Uh, And we're joined by Sam today. Now, Sam is a Leighton Orient fan. Um, he is from the League One podcast, so go and follow all the podcasts on Look Sports Media, League One, League Two, and the National League as well. Uh, Sam, how are we doing this afternoon, this evening? Hello, yeah, I'm, I'm not too bad, thank you, not too bad. Fantastic stuff. So, of course, as usual, guys, we're going to give you all the goals, all the drama, all the talking points from today. So let's get started straight away. And we go to St. Andrews, first of all. Birmingham City 2, Sheffield Wednesday 1. A fairly even game on the possession front, but overall, Rooney's men get the job done. Bakuna, my man of the match from the game. Um, And Rooney gets his win. But Sheffield Wednesday, bit of a rot. Uh, Sam, since uh, it's your first episode, we'll we'll start with you on this one. Rooney's first win, deserved in your opinion? Um, I think on the balance of play, just about. Um, I think it was a very much needed win to actually build some confidence actually in the fan base. Um, I know there was a, I saw some videos on X or Twitter, whatever it's called nowadays, um, of some Sheffield Wednesday fans getting right in his face and down at the front by the dugout after the second loss. So just trying to build some trust, I think, with the fan base. And if I don't, if they didn't beat Sheffield Wednesday, I think they'd have had a 
few he'd have had a few more issues to contend with in the fan base. They're not a very forgiving fan base with what they've had to endure the past seven, eight years. I think it's eight years in the bottom half in the championship for a club the size of Birmingham. They need to be fighting top half and sacking. They had this, what, I think six years ago with John um, sacking Gary Rowell when they were in the playoffs. Yeah. They then nearly went down under Zola before I think it was Lee Clark did a leg it down the touchline. I think it was against Bolton to keep them up with a Paul Caddis goal. Um, and I was, for their fans, I don't think they would have wanted their memories to come back. So it's important for Rooney to get his first victory. Yeah, that, that Caddis goalkeeping Birmingham in the championship. And who did they beat? Who did they send down instead? They only sent down good old, yeah, good old Rovers under Paul Dickoff. Um, man, memories, <laughs> memories, memories. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't hate Paul Caddis anymore, but I hate his goal with every fibre in my body. Um, <laughs> shout out to Paul Caddis if you're listening to this. Uh, Lewis, uh, thoughts on this one then? It was good for Birmingham to get that win, but how much pressure does this put on Sheffield Wednesday? 10 points away from safety, 17 games into the season, pretty much the halfway point of this campaign. Well, I feel like before the season even kicked off, there was heaps of pressure on just on the entire side. You know, what's been going on behind the off the pitch. It's just all created just a sour atmosphere at Hillsborough. And despite the personnel change, you know, they brought in role and he still only has one win to his name. And that was at home to Rotherham, which arguably at the time was probably the easiest fixture for them in the entire league. And it does still show that it was too much of a risky it was too much of a risky manager to bring in. They should have brought someone in to steady the ship. And yeah, that's obviously not, not done the case. Looking at the players, they've got no League One, got no championship quality players, sorry. Except for Bannon, you've got Windass, but look at the rest. It's just mm. pretty shoddy to be honest. I mean, Wilkes came back after God knows how long on the sidelines after injuries. But again, he's one of them players who he's decent. He'll get you 10, 15 goals in League One. But for Championship, he's just not nearly anywhere towards that standard. And you look at the back as well. You've got, you got uh, Dawson in net. And both the goals for Birmingham showed that he was clearly at fault as well. And I think Vasquez should be given a time in between the sticks instead of him. Yeah, absolutely. I think the best way to describe Sheffield Wednesday is going to a restaurant, ordering a dessert, and it's way too sour. I think the whole season's been way too sour for Sheffield Wednesday and Danny Roll uh, so far. But hopefully Danny can, you know, build up that trust and build up that relationship with the fans. And hopefully it, you know, takes the time to unfold. But for Rooney, it's a, a good confidence booster this week. Um, we're going to go to Bristol City versus Middlesbrough next. So um, take charge. Take charge on this one. Uh, so finish Bristol City 3, Middlesbrough 2 in quite an entertaining game of football. Two sides who believe they should be higher up the table. The reason uh, Bristol City sacks Nigel Pearson because they think they should be in the playoffs. Uh, Middlesbrough under Michael Carrick enjoyed a really slow start to the season, but slowly found their feet. Um, it was a really wonder goal, really, to set Bristol City on their way after some really, really poor midfield play from Middlesbrough. No engaging from the centre-halves um, and a, a wonderful finish. Um there was then a penalty, which what definitely was a penalty after uh, poor defending from the fullback, and then Del Fry tripping up his man. Um, Middlesbrough got back into the game in the second half. Uh, Matt Crooks um, leveled the game after a mistake 
with uh, Bristol City try, trying to still play out from the back, learning the Liam Manning way, um, losing the ball in the in the defensive third. Um, and then a set piece to win Bristol City the game. Dickie's header was saved and then Sykes tapped home. Um, it's Liam Manning's first win, um, which puts Bristol City up into 11th and Middlesbrough still a little bit inconsistent, um, sitting in 12th. Um, I think the standout player for Middlesbrough, there was obviously some rumours with Hayden Hackney going to Nottingham Forest this week. Um, I think he can probably do better than Nottingham Forest with the quality shown after the last 18 months. Um, another player was Sandy Dieng. I wasn't really sure when he moved from QPR to Middlesbrough. Um, I thought it was a bit mistake prone at QPR, um, but he's mm. proven me wrong. Um, and I, th- I think on the balance, pro Bristol City, they're higher XG, uh, more shots on target, more big chances deserved it on the balance of play. Yeah, absolutely. There's a huge smile on my pa- face every time Diang is mentioned because, as Rovers fans know, he's a brilliant loanee for us a few years ago. Um, <laughs> uh, but you're right. Yeah, Hackney's just been unbelievable um, at times. And, you know, I think Bristol City, though, deserved the win in the end. Definitely. I, I definitely agree with you. Liam Manning right now is just looking like gem to gold he's just yeah. an absolute he's just an absolute diamond um that's just going to shine bright in the sky um lewis I think um, fans, yeah. uh, they can see a lot of very low xg goals and they all come from the same sort of position on the pitch around 25 to 20 yards out and they're all the same the midfielders are really wide and the center halves they don't know whether to engage or stay in line and in the end they stay in line and then engage when it's too late and the shot's been taken so that might be something for character actually try and work out what to do. Yeah, that would be uh, definitely worth mentioning as well. Um, Lewis, your thoughts on this one? As we said, Manning, absolute diamond. Yeah, certainly. And it's seven points out of a possible nine in his first three games. I don't think he could have really asked for a much better start than that, to be honest. And looking at Middlesbrough, you know, a lot of players there not quite performing. Latte laugh. Started his first since mid-September, but couldn't really make much of an impact. And also Sam Greenwood, who week after week we've been praising, been giving him heaps of praise for his performances, but he didn't show much end quality as well. And if he isn't performing for Middlesbrough, then they don't really have many more outlets to look towards in terms of a goal for it. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I think Latte Last's been... I think Latte Lath will come on eventually. I think consistently, I think he'll come on eventually. I've got confidence in him. Um, but yeah, great win for, for Bristol City. And and, and to, to rephrase the famous song, Liam's in the sky with diamonds. Um, now then, let's get into our next game. Those who know the song will know it. Um, Huddersfield, Southampton. Lewis, take it away. What's happened in Yorkshire? Well, yeah, it was a great point for the Terriers who, despite seeing out the game with 22% possession, came away with a point against fourth place Southampton. And it was the Saints who actually took the lead for an instinctive move finished off by Adam Armstrong. He was he was given an extra yard by Michael Helick, who was just slightly off the pace. And you can always rely on Adam Armstrong to just get in front and poke it past Chris Maxwell to make it 1-0. But it was left late for Darren Moore's side to respond through Ben Jackson, who placed an inviting cross into the corridor of uncertainty. And no one got a nick onto it. But despite that, it still managed to get past Mizunu in the Southampton goal. And Jan Bednarek attempted to get there in front. He tried to jump for it, but just it's a tad too high for him. And yeah, finished 1-1. Huddersfield, certainly the happier of the two sides. One-point game to them. 
where Southampton certainly two points dropped as they're looking at the automatic promotion slots where Ipswich ended up losing. And yeah, certainly one point gained Huddersfield. Absolutely. The Terriers just have a huge bite on the on the coastal squad. Um Sam, from a Southampton point of view, are you worried about the Saints? Because the Saints right now are looking like devils. Um I think it's di- it's difficult with Southampton because I look at their squad and they should be steamrolling teams with their forwards. Adam Armstrong is definitely what in the top three forward players in the league. Um, but the, I think the most frustrating thing for Southampton fans, if you look at the stats from Saturday, they did 812 accurate passes and the majority of them are sideways and backwards. And sideways and backwards works to an extreme a certain level if you're trying to invite a team on from the press. And Huddersfield didn't want to press. They were quite happy to sit in their shape and go, have the ball in your defensive third. We don't care. You're not troubling us. And I think that's part of the frustration I think Southampton fans have. 16 shots, 1.47 XG. I think they're probably not creating enough clear-cut chances for sort of someone like Adam Armstrong, who's sort of a poacher in the box. Um, I just think Southampton's attacking play needs to be faster in and around the box it's a bit too slow um uh, and i think players like armstrong will thrive on a bit quicker quicker football inside the bo- around the box yeah 100% agree i think it just needs to be more efficient in the final third um i, I 100% agree with that and a good point for for darren moore off the back of that um, next up then, I mean, the best way I can describe Leicester, uh, Leicester's win against Watford with Watford doing now to 10 minutes. Best way I can describe this is if a man stood in a field, covered himself in honey and waited to whack a, a beehive. And he's like, take on me. They just demolished Watford. They absolutely demolished the Hornets. They stung them to bits. Um, I think Casey McAteer is proving to be one of the gems this season for Leicester. I think his adaptability after his loan last season was unbelievable and he's, he's adapting really well to championship life. He isn't going to adapt fully 100% straight away, but I'm more than confident that he's going to make the jump. And it increases Leicester's advantage at the top of the table. Um, could not be happy with Leicester uh, at the moment under 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 Guardiola's old number two. Uh, he's learning the lessons of his master. Um, and it's just been an unbelievable season so far for the, for the Foxes, who never looked like a team that have gone down uh, since they've come down. Um, Lewis, we'll come to you on this first of all. I mean, Leicester just, like I said, they just stunned the Hornets. Yeah, and three losses on the spin was never going to happen for Maresca's side. I think it was safe to see that in hindsight. And they had the shots and the possession to show for that dominant performance. And unlike the last two games, the scoreline showed for that as well. And we saw Vardy, of course, bag his first goal since early October. And in particular, that first goal was real distinctive. It was... 27-year-old Vardy-esque, I certainly felt like. And you also have to give credit to Dewsbury Hall for a stellar performance. He controlled that midfield and also came to a goal himself. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Uh, Sam, from a Watford point of view then, uh, I mean, if we look at the, the table currently, I mean, they're sitting 15th right now. They are nine points above the relegation zone and they are seven points away from the playoffs. So... Take other teams into it. What do Watford need to do to try and turn this into a more of a, a playoff push campaign? Or we're looking here at a mid-table finish for, for Ismail's first campaign. 
I think we're looking at a mid-table finish for Watford. Um, I don't think they've got enough going forward and I don't think they're strong enough in midfield and I don't think they're strong enough defensively. Yes, they've been on pretty decent form recently, um, but I just don't think there's enough uh, power. There's not enough consistency to their performances. And in knowing, I know Watford just given Ismail a three-year deal. If they're 17th in by the end of Christmas, they'll probably sack him and then they start from ground zero again. Um, and knowing their owner, what will probably happen in January, six or seven players will come over from Udinese, six or seven will go out to Udinese, and it's just it's too much chopping and changing. I think they need to keep faith of Ismail, give him time, actually build a squad over one or two, maybe even three transfer windows to become competitive. Mm. Yeah, 100% agree with that. And this is something that's, I guess, it's a huge lesson to learn where you give time to someone in football. Like We don't care if the years have changed, you still give time to someone in football to build something. And I think sometimes fans maybe just need to learn a bit more patience uh, when it comes to building projects. Yes. I think that's it's not a problem with Monday football fans because everyone's entitled to an opinion and everyone's entitled to dream. But I think there's a lot of people now who, especially with clubs that have come down from the Premier League or clubs that have come down from the Championship to League One, for example, who become a bit entitled and think they should just be steamrolling everyone every week. Where for some of these players, if you're going to a team like Leicester, going to a team like um, Southampton, this is your cup final. This is your chance to prove that you deserve to be playing at a higher level. And they mm. do probably try 10% harder. Um, and I think some of the players just think, oh, we're playing Rotherham this week. We can just turn up and have a kickabout. And that's not the case. Yeah. Yeah, 100 percent uh, agree with you there. Um Sam, we've got uh, this game which was a brilliant win uh for, for for the Sky Blues. Um the Lions got tamed in in London. I'm liking the analogies here. Um yeah, so <laughs> a, a Coventry City team who have um recently changed system just before the international break. They drew 0-0, I think it was with Stoke. Um, in a change into a back four since the Carl McFadson injury. So it's now two clean sheets in a row for Coventry City, who beat Millwall 3-0. Wright had a one-on-one early on, which was saved. Um, Millwall then hit hit the bar with a a huge deflection. Um, Godden made it 1-0 for Coventry. All three of the goals were fairly similar, with a rebound after a lung-bursting run through the middle from uh, Jake Bidwell. Uh, It was then 2-0 through Sakamoto in the second half, which was again a rebound from a long shot from uh, Allen, which was well saved. And then they scored a set piece, which was one of them corners that just evades everyone at the front post. And then Bedsheaf taps it in at the back post. Um, Millwall, after their 4-0 hammering, I think it was QPR just before the international break, would be pretty disappointed with that. Um, they're man- obviously a new manager who comes from an understudy of Frank Lampard. So no doubt in January, there'll be a load of Chelsea low knees heading to Millwall. Um, <laughs> but for Coventry City, a team that started quite slowly last year as well, if we remember. Um, so... But I'd quite like to see Coventry pushing up the table and hopefully tempting the playoff places because I, I do think they've got quality in their side. And it was good to see Mark Robbins go away from his five at the back system, keeping the four, which worked to keep a clean sheet in their last game. Yeah, 100%. Um, Lewis, from a from a Millwall point of view, are we looking at this as a blip or are we looking at this as potentially something to be worried about with the, with some of the games coming up? Well, I think, looking at the last two games, I think last game, when they beat Sheffield Wednesday 4-0, is the blip. You know, that, that was against an awful side, fair enough, uh, at Hillsborough as well, which is 
such a torrid atmosphere. So I think this is sort of Millwall getting getting reined in a little bit, a uh, bit of a, a reality check for them. And looking at individual players, Zian Fleming didn't show much, which is very uncharacteristic of him as of recent. And despite Millwall winning their midfield battles through Honeyman, Dunor and Saville, they just didn't really do much with it when taking it forward. And it's just a case of also getting that home form sorted. I don't think they've won a game so far at home this season, if I'm right in saying that. And it all stems from there. Yeah, yeah, 100, 100%. Um, next up then, um, Lewis, we go to we go to Carrow Road because I think it's fair to say the Queen's Park Rangers got dethroned by the, by the Canaries. Yeah, it was a victory for Norwich against a well-improved QPR side under Marty Sifuentes. And the sole goal came from Huang Hijo, who latched onto a through ball from Gabriel Sara, who completely split open the opposition's defence. And Jimmy Dunn was easily caught out, I think you'd agree. He had no idea of the run behind him and was basically as still as a statue when that moment came. Many chances fell to the away side, who, unlike under Gareth Ainsworth, had the majority of possession and the majority of the chances as well. And I feel like despite the results, QPR would look at this fairly optimistically. I think if I was a fan of QPR, I'd be comparing the style of Ainsworth and Sifuentes, and there's just so many improvements. You look at possession for a start, they were having 20, 30% possession under Ainsworth. Now we're getting the majority in the game and actually making a lot more chances through that. It's just a case of that front three of Chair, Willock and Dykes regaining their confidence. I think Willock's only recently came back into the squad. He didn't get much of a chance under Ainsworth. But if they get their confidence back, all it takes is a couple of goals, then they could be deadly. Yeah, I mean, Chris Willock shares the name of a of a Newcastle player, so if he channels that inner Willock that I know he's got, if he channels the inner spirit of the inner Willock, I'm sure he'll, I'm sure he'll be all right. Uh, Sam, from a Norwich point of view, David Wagner, or Wagner, however people like to pronounce his second name, um, good win for him in the end. Obviously, with QPR doubling their possession under their previous manager in the particular game. You know, Norwich getting a, a win here seems like a bit of a a bit of a, a three points they'll take. They'll definitely take that three points. Hundred percent, especially with their form in the past sort of six or seven games. Um, and a lot of fans just before the international break wondering why Wagner wasn't actually let go. Um, especially after their start, where they seem to batter absolutely everyone. Um, they like Norwich have got experienced championship players. I think the big thing for Norwich is keeping Gabriel Sara in January. We've got some big clubs sniffing around, and I can I can see why. Um, but you've got experienced professionals in there: Shane Duffy, Ashley Barnes, Danny Bath. All have won promotion from this this division. They do know what it takes. Wagner, I'm def- I think he won promotion with Huddersfield, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um. So he he knows what it takes as well. Um. I just think again, it's one of them transitiony sort of teams. I think Norwich. They've obviously been in. I think it's their second season now in the Championship. They had a lot of high earners. They had to get rid of. Um, they've, I think, a, a transition year for a mid-table finish. I think, while Norwich City fans probably won't take that because they believe they should be a Premier League club, I think it's a good thing for Norwich just to have a bit of a clear out, get a, a proper squad together, and have have a maybe who knows have a late charge for the playoffs because there's always one team that comes around from mid-table 
and fights for the playoffs at the end of the season. Yeah, I've got to agree with that. I think it's a transitional year for for Norwich. I think Wagner, I mean, I remember that play, that penalty shootout final against Reading all those years ago at Wembley with Schindler scoring that winning penalty. I mean, I mean, he's done it before at this level, and like you said, it's been a trans. It's a transitional year for Norwich with the with the highs of Daniel Farker and the the kind of yo yo in between the Premier League for the last few years. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what Norwich do from this point forward, and of course QPR, you know, improving every week. Um, right then, we go to down to Devon. We go down to the old Argyle, big up the Argyle, um, and they got a nice two 0 win over the Black Cats uh, at home park. Um, good win for Plymouth. Um, I mean, I've got to give a shout out to Plymouth because loads of people predicted this club to be what bottom of the league, bottom three, you know, all of this, you know, Plymouth going straight back down the 19th, you know, they're seven points above the relegation zone halfway through the season. I think they're doing, you know, obviously there is things that could be doing better. But I think that Plymouth are doing all right this year. I think that from what everyone's predicting them for, I think Plymouth look all right this year. And if they can stabilise this year in the championship, the sky's the limit. It's like that song, The Sky's the Limit. I don't know who sang it. Um, but I don't know if there is a song called Sky's the Limit. If you know, then please listen. Um, but yeah, there's some great players in that Plymouth squad that are just taking them to another level long term. Uh, I think Kessler Hayden on loan has just been fantastic at times. I think Finazaz is a technical Wizards, I mean, he's just got magic in his veins. Um, Jordan Houghton, I love his defensive duties. I love what he produces sometimes. Uh, they've got some potential talent to really produce long-term. Ben Wayne up front, I think. Um, Joe Edwards being the captain of the side, I think he's just got this aura about him and this experience about him. Um, I mean, I'm looking on the bench. Um, Randall's the one I pick out in terms of homegrown talent getting their chance and just grabbing that brass ring with both hands. He's just come on leaps and bounds over the last few years as a homegrown talent from the academy, from the ground up at Plymouth, and he's just come on leaps and bounds. And I'm sure he's going to play a huge part in Plymouth's future under Schumacher. And I don't really... It's the reason why I don't say another or, an, or another coach, Schumacher or another coach, because I think that Stephen Schumacher is the right man to take him forward. And I've Fully believe that Schumacher is the right man to take him forward. Um, from a Sunderland point of view, obviously it's a case of we go again. I think Sunderland will be fine this year. I think it'll be at least a top 10 finish for, for Mowbray. Um, Lewis, we'll come to you first on this, mate. Um, Argyle, I mean, what are three points for the Devon lads? Yeah, certainly. And if we're looking at individual players like you were, I think Morgan Whitaker has to be the top of that list. He's shown across this game. And yeah. just the past few games, just how important that he is for Plymouth. And the goal that he scored here as well clearly shows that. It's four goals in his last five. And I don't think there's anything else he could do to be first name on the team sheet. Yeah. Yeah, I think I should be arrested for, for not saying Morgan Whitaker in that list, definitely. Um, I'm waiting for the sirens now. I, I, I disrespect yeah. to Whitaker, Morgan Whitaker. Praise be, hallelujah. Um Sam, from a Sunderland point of view, I mean, from a Plymouth point of view, first of all, you know, Devon's painted green this week with what happened with Exeter. No comment. Um, but the, the, the Devon's painted green this week with the result for Plymouth. But from a Sunderland point of view, is it a case of a blip we go again? Uh, I think so. They're still a very young, inexperienced, I say inexperienced, if you've got people like Patrick Roberts, Jack Clark, but they're still quite a young, inexperienced team. Pierre uh, Equa. 
um, Anthony Patterson, Don Ballard. They're still young and experienced. Joby Bellingham as well. They're still young and experienced players who will have these inconsistencies to their game. Um, you can only coach so much on a training pitch and it is the games where they learn a lot more about themselves, a lot more about how the championship actually plays. Um, obviously, their recruitment is but well, we will buy young players from all over Europe and we will blend them into these players we can maybe sell on, which is trying to make a sustainable club, which is great, especially after the issues financially Sunderland have had the past seven, eight years. Um, and I think Mowbray is the right man. Um, whether they can get a top six finish is questionable. I think Leicester, Ipswich, Leeds, Southampton have already taken up four of the spots. So that I think there's only really two spots available. And then you're going to have at least 10 to 12 teams all thinking, oh, we, we put five, six wins together. We, we can fight for these playoffs. Um, I know Patrick Roberts, I think, just signed a new contract. I think it was last week as well, which is, I think, huge for Sunderland. You keep him fit. You keep Jack Clark fit. They they can they can win a game on their own. Um, but if they have one of them has an off game, you're relying completely on the other winger, um, which which can cause issues because they can, they can then be marked out of the game, especially when one of them gets taken off. Um, Bally Mumba did a right old good job on Patrick Roberts again. Another signing. I think it cost a million quid their record signing from Norwich. Um, so I bet Norwich are quite gutted to actually let him go because the quality he's shown in this season is. Um, amazing. Yeah, 100%. I just want to ask you guys quickly about Plymouth. Um, where do you think Plymouth can go long-term in the championship if they can stabilise and stay out this year? I'll start with you, Sam. Where do you think Plymouth could, can go in the long-term? Um, they keep Stephen Schumacher. They keep the solid recruitment they're doing. Um, there is no, There is no reason why in, I think, three to four years with more solid recruitment, keeping a manager, building the financial... Um, benefits of being in the championship, especially with the new TV deal coming, there is no question, I don't think, they can be in the top six. The championship is one of them leagues. You build up ahead of steam, you end a season well, you keep a squad together, and you start the season like a house on fire, like Luton did. There's no reason you can't be in the top six. Um, I think Plymouth fans are sensible enough to realise that this isn't going to be, it's going to be one to two years, maybe of finishing lower mid-table then maybe a mid-table finish, and then they give it a right old goal maybe in their fourth season. Um, they've got a young they've got a young team, a young manager, um, who are going to learn a lot about themselves in this year and next year. Um, we've just got to hope if they do have a little bit of wobble, which I'm sure they will, Plymouth fans and owners keep faith with keep faith with the manager. 100%. Um, Lewis, uh, your thoughts on where Plymouth could go? Yeah, it's just, it basically, as Sam said, it's all about keeping Schumacher. I'm sure he's one of them managers, like we saw when Martin went to Southampton, he's one of them where if it's if a, if a decent side comes down to the championship and they're looking to re-stabilise, they're looking for a manager with that little bit of championship experience, someone who did it last season, then I feel like he is one that might be in the offing for that sort of thing. But if they do stay up, which they're very likely to at this point, it's a case of keeping him and making sure they you know, they put that money to good use. They spent a couple of mil this season, Bally Mumba and Whitaker coming in and with with the recruitment like that, obviously we've seen how brilliant that's been. If they can further that and spend even more as a result and bring in a similar vein of players, then I just, the only way is up for them, I feel. 
yeah, 100% agree with that. Uh, we are going to take a little break, uh, but when we come back, uh, the Dragons slay the Lily Whites. Ewood Park feels like home in Stoke for Blackburn. The, the Hall Tigers just not mauling them quite enough in, in Swansea. Uh, and what in the baggies hell happened to Ipswich this week? That's all right here on the Championship Podcast. We'll count them in a few minutes. You can count them because I'm counting them here in the studio. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Drum roll and welcome back to the Championship Podcast. All the goals and all the drama from the second tier of English football here on Look Sports Media. You can follow all our socials on Twitter, Instagram. Just look for Look Sports Media and you can find us. Hello. Uh, right, let's get straight back into this. And we're going to go straight to you, my friend. We're going to go straight to you, Sam. Um, Preston Cardiff. Uh, Preston with 10 men. Cardiff with two goals. The Lily Whites got slayed by the Dragons. Yeah, and I think it was a, a well-deserved three points for Cardiff City on the balance of play. Um it was a mistake by McGuinness that, um, and I'm never going to be able to say this name, Ozmajic uh, intercepted McGuinness, run through and uh, tapped it in. Uh, Robbie Brady was then sent off for a second yellow card as Cardiff looked to counter-attack. The most stonewall yellow, second yellow card you're ever likely to see. Geezer's knocked it past him and he's just body-checked him. He's literally just killed him. Um, and, and then in two injury-time goals for Cardiff City, I believe they're the only team this season in the Championship to score two goals in injury time and win a game. Um, I think they are, uh, yeah. Carlin, Carlin Grant scored the first one after he, uh, Preston failed to clear a corner. I'm not overly sure either how it managed to squeeze through about four players and then Freddie Woodman, who left about a millimetre at his near post, but it did. And then the 97th minute, Cardiff rushing to take a quick corner, took the quick corner, Preston not set up. Ugbo is completely unmarked, about 12 yards out, with a really good header into the far corner. It is now two wins in 10 for Preston. Um it's, it's a very common Preston thing to do. They either have a really good start or a really good end, but they're always crap between games 15 and about 28. I don't know what it is, but they seem to either get a bit worked out and then take a long time to come up with a plan B. Um, the players just get tired. They have injuries. They have suspensions. 
And their squad, as we know, is not the biggest. Um, but for Cardiff City, uh, well-earned three points. It's seventh in the table, a point off Preston. And have been, for me, one of the most impressive teams this season because I didn't actually expect them to do that well. Um, I'm pretty sure they had a transfer embargo as well with loans and just uh, with loans and free agents. Um, Perry NG, one of the standout performers again in this game. He's missed a consistent this season. Uh, it's good for Carl and Grant to get a goal. I believe that's only his fourth goal of the season as well. And he's on loan from West Brom, who, as we'll get on to later, had a good result as well. Yeah, um, yeah, good result for Cardiff. And I, I agree with you about that, Robbie Brady, second jello. It's like he was the only person in the UK to know about CM Punk return to WWE <laughs> because he bodied him. Um, <laughs> it's like Robbie Brady was CM Punk, his opponent was Seth Rollins, and he bodied him. Um, Lewis May, from a from a from a Cardiff point of view, obviously a great win, but for Preston, I mean, what in I mean, it's like that South Park episode, it's just a Jersey thing. It is a Preston thing. Yeah, certainly. And I think that Robbie Brady red card sums up the run of form that they're on. As you said, Sam, it went off to a brilliant start in true Preston style, just went straight down the mountain. And it's it's very it's a bit of a struggle, a bit of an uphill battle for them to get back into the playoffs at this current time. And if you look at specific players, Osmacic, as you said, scored a very good goal. He's been very good as of recent. He's now got four goal contributions in his last five for Preston. But I feel like the formation that they've set up with does limit him a little bit to have him up top with Chad Evans. And I feel like them two are just too similar of a mould to have next to each other. It's like, it's not exactly chalk and cheese. It's not exactly going well for them. And they need a bit more a bit more versatility, a bit more pace up top of him. I think Mads Froke Jensen could be the player to provide that. He's not been the best so far in his time at Preston since coming in in the summer. But if you move him a little bit further forward, I feel like he could really come into his own and also bring the best out, out of Osmagic. I think they're also missing Will King quite a lot. He's also injured. So it's a lot of forward players for Preston that would probably yeah. complement the other. So it's the, unfortunately for them, they've had their complementary players out at the same time as they're all at the same time so to speak because they've got Leighton Stewart yeah. out injured as well yeah um obviously Calvin Ramsey Jack Watmore um you've got Emil Real uh Reece Jacobson who should be back soon as well um so there is a lot of injuries but probably why you have a squad Cardiff have um Aaron Ramsey out injured who's on his day the best player in this league so yeah it swings and roundabouts yeah, every team gets their injuries and it's how you deal with them. And the best people that deal with those injuries are the ones that succeed during tough periods during the season and that get the most consistency throughout the season. Uh, would you say that the attacking areas, Sam, is where Preston will focus their recruitment in January with all these injuries? Because as you said, we've got Will Keane, you've got Leighton Stewart, who I think's got so much potential, but it's a shame to see him out. Obviously, uh, Emil Reese is, is back soon. But do you think the attacking areas where Preston need to strengthen in January with these injuries in mind? And also, is there any names that spring out to you as potential targets? Um, it, it's difficult because for clubs like Preston, they obviously have a very strict budget because they don't make a lot of money and they don't want to lose a lot of money because they're not the richest of owners. So they've probably got a squad of around 24, 25 senior pros already. So for them to sign a, a senior professional, shall we say, an experienced championship striker, they're probably going to be looking 
have to flog off or get rid of one or two players already because they're not going to want to break that strict budget they've got. Um, if they're going to have to sell someone, someone like a Ched Evans could leave. Um, but it, I'd probably look at the midfield area and attacking midfield area for Preston over a striker. You've got Jacobson coming back. You've got um, Stewart coming back. You've got King coming back, which I think is enough firepower. But I just don't know if there's enough creativity in their team. Um, Robbie Brady's obviously not the player he once was with his delivery. Um, Dwayne Holmes can only do so much. And Ben Whiteman and Alan Brown aren't assist providing or penetrative midfielders, shall we say. Um, so I think a forward focusing attacking midfielder would be uh, Preston's main focus. Um, maybe someone on loan from a Premier League team who they've nicked a couple of players from called Liverpool. Um, I think there's a player called Gordon in the Liverpool youth system if they wanted mm. to have a look at a attacking midfield sort of option. Um, but I think they'd have to get rid of one of the Liverpool loanies already because they've got two on loan from them already. Yeah, if you're going to stick That's with Liverpool problem. as well, I, I also look at uh, Melkamu Frondorf, the the German from the Liverpool Academy as well. I think he's got. I I I back him to the moon and back. He's got talent in abundance. Um, as you said, I think an attacking midfielder would be the the right move um, for me, and maybe, maybe a striker as well, especially if you send Leighton Stewart back to to, to yeah. Liverpool to, to force the attacking midfielder. If you're going to go for a Liverpool loanee. Um, Looking ahead then on this next game then, speaking of Lily White, it's quite a former Lily White and Daniel Johnson appearing in the Stoke team, but the Preston thing follows him this week as uh, Stoke got bodied by Blackburn on on, on home turf. Um, one name. I mean, I mean, to be fair, Black, Blackburn as a whole were fantastic, but one name immediately springs to mind in that attack, Andrew Moran. He had a belter of a game, in my opinion. I think he was skillful. I think he had that experienced IQ as a younger player. And I think the name Irish Ace comes to mind when I speak of Andrew Moran. Um, I think Blackburn were very good on the day. Um, Stoke, it's tough with Stokes. They've got some wonderful players, but it's just keeping those goals out. It's keeping those moments out and keeping those those lines clear. Um, and sometimes they just don't do that. And uh, it's going to it's gonna take time, though. It's going to take time to really fully develop the most out of this squad and the most out of the recruitment to back the manager with. Um, Lewis, I know a lot of I know a lot of people. Oh, I know there were some people during the season earlier on that kind of questioned whether Alex Neal was the right man to take them forward. Um, I would argue that he is the right man to take them forward. And I'm, would you agree with that? It's it's a questionable one because he really does have a good quality championship side, I truly believe, but it's a case of him maybe not quite gelling as of yet. You know, we got in a lot of new arrivals in the summer and maybe it just hasn't, well, it clearly hasn't really clicked for him just considering how consistently inconsistent this Stoke side are. I think you mentioned their attacking options in particular they have got Loads there have got Andre Vidigal and Tyrese Campbell, but the fact that they started the game with Dwight Gale, Dwight Gale up top in 2023, I feel like it's just a recipe for disaster. To be honest, yeah. it's not 2015. He's not going to be able to do well. I don't even think he's scored a single goal so far this season. He's started the last three games, and Stoke themselves haven't even scored, let alone him. 
Yeah, 100%. Um, Sam, from a Blackburn point of view, I mean, they're in 10th now. They're in the top 10. Um, I, I I don't want to use analogies all the time, but I think the best way to sum up this particular defeat for Stoke is, I mean, they're nicknamed the Potters. They didn't get slayed. They got clayed. Um, what would you say from a Blackburn point of view? Um, another, impre another impressive performance from Blackburn. Um, in terms of XG, they had more. Yes, they had less of the ball, but as we said earlier, possession doesn't win your football matches. You, everyone's got a style of play, and I think a counter-attacking style is perfect for Blackburn. Um, the main man, Sammy Schmodix, with another goal, which makes it 11 for the season for him, which makes him the championship top scorer. I think he's had the most goal involvement as well, if you include assists. Um, there was an interview last week with, I think, Evan Ferguson, when he was an international duty, about the most exciting young player coming through the Republic of Ireland. And he named Andrew Moran in that. Um, for Blackburn, I think the one thing they haven't improved on from last year is they don't, they either win or lose, which is great from a neutral point of view. But if you yeah. want to become, you want to get into the playoffs, because I think this cost them in the end last year, they need to turn three or four of them losses into draws. You turn three or four of them losses into draws, you get obviously four extra points. And I think they missed out on the playoffs by a point last year. Um, and they, from, from a neutral, it is very exciting. They always try to win a game of football, which is brilliant. But sometimes, the, and I think it's a bit of naivety because they're quite a young team as well. They just need to be a bit more balanced in their approach. Get a, if you if you're getting dominated and you're drawing one all, actually try and sit back instead of continuing your press to try and try and win the game. It's just a bit of game management, I think, in terms for Blackburn. But um, they're in good form. They're now sitting tenth, I think, just three points outside the playoffs. So who knows what could happen? They could be one of them teams that pick up pick up pick up in the second half of the season. I'm going to say there were times during the season so far where they were quite slow at the start mm -hmm. and then they really built up again. And now they're in that top 10, the sort of where I think they could be that by the end of the year, uh, top 10, top 12, maybe. Um, but yeah, great win for Blackburn. Stoke, back to the drawing board, or should I say the pottery board? Um, let's go to our next one then. Uh, Lewis, you are, of course, a Hull City fan. So I know you might not like speaking about anything but a win. <laughs> but... <laughs> um, but but yeah, let's go to let's go to Wells on this one because it's fair to say the Swans swimmingly nicely to a point where the Tigers didn't completely maul, but they left at least a mark. Yeah, I mean, considering we're two goals down at half time, I feel like I'm talking about a win here because that first half was just so incredibly poor from Hull and they just made things way too easy for Swansea. And Patterson's goal clearly showed that as McLaughlin wasn't given any help at all from his teammates and for Allsop to be beaten near post was very poor from him as well and he really didn't cover himself in any sort of glory for the second as well he parried the ball to Jerry Yates who even I couldn't miss that chance and credit to Yates for being right place and closing down the keeper from the troubling shot that he couldn't latch on to but for a championship quality keeper the, the strike what it was a clean strike but it wasn't the the most powerful I feel like he should be claiming that one and who knows, in hindsight, we could have maybe gotten to a win in that game if he did actually claim that. But no point doing if, buts, or maybes. Only do absolutes. And uh, the way Hull started after the interval just showed it was a tale of two halves as Philogene, as he has been the past five or six weeks, he latched onto a ball from Cyrus Christie and after a direct run, absolutely smashed it the near side of Rushworth. And then the scores were level through Tyler Morton with a very good finish by him, both which are 
England under 21 internationals. And I feel like it's just such a big benefit for the side to have well, three England under 21s as well, if you include Liam Delap, to have yeah. that quality in the side. It really does separate the men from the boys. And them three are the three players that we're really relying on in getting into them playoff spots. As for the Swans, I feel like despite they were being two goals up, I think they'd see it as one point gained and it just shows that they most likely are destined for mid-table mediocrity this season. Yeah, um, I think Swansea could be a, a mid-table side like your Watford and your Norwich. I think they, I think we're starting to see now the mid-table kind of group or start to see the group starting to form uh, at this point. Um, Sam, I mean, obviously, you know, Hull drew it back in that second half, but there's one name I've got to talk about. I mean, he's got the three most important letters in sports and entertainment. And no, I'm not talking about MJF. I'm talking about JPB, Jaden Philogene Bedass. Yeah, he's one of the most exciting prospects in in the championship. Um, and how Hull have managed... Was it a free transfer you got him? It it was... It's a bit of a complicated deal. We've signed him for five mil from Villa and there's an obligation to, to re-sign him for Villa for 15 mil if we get promoted to the Prem. But if another side comes in with a higher offer, we can reject the Villa 15 mil. It's it's very complicated, but we're signing him for 5 mil, which he should be worth okay. about 30, so I'm more than happy. Yeah, that, that 5 million is proven to be a right old bargain. If it, um, He had a decent loan spell at Cardiff last year, and he, he's just growing on leaps and bounds this year. Um, nine duels won. Um, he's even he's even winning half his aerial duels, which is very very unlikely for a winger. Um, successful dribbles are through the roof. Um, he commits goals, commits assists. He's pacey, and with Scott Twine's sort of technical ability on the other side as well, Liam Rossini has built a very well balanced team at Hull. I find, and they and, they, and to be fair, Hull have got a lot of injuries as well. Um, you've got people like I don't know if Matt Ingram is your number one, but he's out injured. Regan Slater. Adama Traore, uh, Alaya Sayamendiash as well. I can't say that name either. I've butchered that. Um, <laughs> and he was quite into it, uh, good with his subs as well, Liam Rossini, with Cyrus Christie coming on and get two assists as well. Um, a very experienced championship defender. He just seems to have built a, a team that's experienced at championship level with a bit of youth and ex exuberance in there as well. And for a young manager, that's quite an impressive job I think he's done at Hull so far. Um, for Swansea, like you say, mid-table mediocrity, I think, is where they're going to be. Obviously, they signed Yannick Balassi today. That's um, So get that on the skill uh, skill reel. Um, so I'm expecting to see some rainbow flicks appearing. Very interesting. After his, was he 35 now, a spell in Turkey? It's a very un-Swansea signing, I find. But oh. yeah, I, shall, I shall look forward to seeing some rainbow flicks and flip-flaps down, down the wing in the championship now. Literally, I swear to God, I was watching one of the, one of the skill things on TikTok, and it was I can't remember which game it was, but basically, he sort of ran near the corner flag. He had the two guys either side of him, and he basically just nutmegged one of the guys and ran around him as like an overlap. He was like, "Whoop, see you later. I'm off for a taxi." <laughs> um, it, it was just it was like it was like Roadrunner against two wooden sticks. He made the defenders look like statues in the in the Greek god built in the Greek gods of Rome. It, it was just it was Romesque. Um, um, I mean, nah, championis. Um, yeah, I, I, it'd be interesting to see what he does. Even with the more experience he's got under his belt now, I think it'd be interesting to see what Balassi does for, for Swansea. For Swansea itself, though, and I just, just wanted to point this out as well, 
you know, because there's been a lot of talk whether, I mean, obviously, you know, Michael Duff gets brought in. I, for me, I think he's got potential to be a great manager. There was, a, there was a lot of talk at certain points throughout this season whether he was the right guy. Do you think, I mean, obviously looking at the table at the moment with with, with Swansea, it, it's, a, it's 17th at the moment, eight points above the relegation zone. Is Duff, in your opinion, Sam, first of all, the right man to take the club forward? Um, I'm going to say yes on the basis of the job he did at Cheltenham and Barnsley. Yes, he didn't get Barnsley promoted, but he got on bloody well close. Um, yeah. I think he deserves time. He's got a lot, a lot, a lot of injuries. And I don't think he's been backed as well financially. Yes, they've got Jerry Yates. Um, but they, they do have a, a lot, a lot of injuries. And it's, it's one of them teams as well. You've got to give the geezer time to actually build a squad that fits his sort of mould. Because I think he's a bit more of a direct manager than playing tippy-tappy Swansea style yeah. of football. And the players he's inherited, people like Matt Grimes, play tippy-tappy football. And he's a bit more of the old school manager, wants to get the ball forward quickly to someone like Jerry Yates, hold the ball up and have runners off him. Um, so I think he needs time to get the players he wants in. But with Swansea's record in the past couple of years, I don't know if he's going to get that time, to be honest. Yeah, I worry about the situation, to be honest with you. But I do want Duff to be given the time because, like I say, he's got potential to be a great manager. Uh, Lewis, do you think he should be given the time? Because, I, I, like I say, I think I think we think so. Yeah, I mean, if you if the board, sorry, and the fans are expecting anything similar to what they had last season under Russell Martin, they also remind you had Pyro had. Michael Oberfemi, Morgan Whitaker as well. You know, three players who went on leaps and bounds. Maybe not Oberfemi, but Pyro and Whitaker are two of the hottest prospects in the championship. And and, and also Ryan Mann as well. He was absolutely incredible for Swansea last season. So if you just compare the two squads, it's much more of a difficult job that Michael Duff has this season. And yeah, like Sam said, all you need to do is compare... Barnsley last season to where they are now, but went to the playoff finals, who were brilliant. But now, of course, about eighth in the league, I believe. And of course, there's all that off field stuff having, happening with Barnsley as well. But on the pitch, they would have fared a lot better with Michael Duff. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, Sam, we come to you next for the penultimate game of today's episode. What in the baggies hell happened? to Ipswich this week because in the land of Brummy they got bashed. They did, yes. And West Brom are, I on pa- on paper I think West Brom have one of the strongest starting 11s in the championship. Ipswich have come up obviously with a lot of momentum, a lot of clean sheets, a lot of goals and they, they've continued to score goals but they've not kept not keeping as many clean sheets that Ipswich in their last seven, six, game, six, six of their last seven games have conceded two or more goals. And you can't score three every single week. Um, they've now won winning five as well. Um, the first goal for West Brom was from a corner. And it's one of my biggest bugbears in football. Nobody on the back post, nobody on the front post. If someone's on the back post, the corner is cleared, but nobody is there. And Furlong with a, the faintest of touches gives West Brom the lead. Um, and a pretty perfect counter-attack, 90 seconds into the second half from uh, West Brom. The composure from Connor Townsend to find Wallace. He sprints up the pitch, and with his quantity, he finds uh, Dean Garner, and Dean Garner slots it away. And he, I think, has been the key component for West Brom this year. The last couple of seasons, he's been a bit hit and a bit hot and cold. 
He's found the consistency this season. He's found a manager, I think, that actually has trust in him as well. And we're starting to see the best of him. You've still got people like John Swift, to, who didn't play. Um, Cedric Kipre and Carl Bartley at the back. Um, you've got Alex Mowat, Yakushlu. It's such a strong West Brom team. For Ipswich, it's, it's a really weird Ipswich because I, they're one of the most entertaining teams you could mm. possibly watch. Expansive. But on the counter-attack, they're vulnerable. I still don't think, yes, Connor Chaplin scores loads of goals and so does Nathan Broadhead and their attacking midfielder seems to do a lot of their goal scoring. And I think Connor Chaplin mm. is the top attacking midfielder other than Schmodix. In terms of shot attempts, I think Connor Chaplin is first. George Hurst has never really been prolific in his career. Dane Scarlett didn't set the world alight at Portsmouth last season with his with his goal contributions. Caden Jackson's never been a prolific goal scorer than his one season at Accrington. For me, I think I still think Ipswich need, and I know they got Twanzebe, but he's still getting up to speed because yeah. I don't think Cameron Burgess is championship level. He is a squad League One player, I still believe. Um, they're still waiting for Christian Walton to get back up to form and fitness because, uh, like, yes, he got player of the month for Ipswich last month, but he is not as good with his feet as Walton, which sets up a lot of Ipswich's build up play. Um, Leif Davis, who's got the most assists for a left back in, I think, the country, um, had a completely off game. Uh, Morsi did his Morsi thing of getting booked. Um, and it's a Morsi thing. <laughs> it's a Morsi thing. Um, I think Ipswich have obviously got, a, they had a lot of momentum. They've got one win in five. They're always going to have a sticky moment during the season. Um, but if you ask any Ipswich fan, you're second place after over a third of the season. And you're still, I think, seven points clear of Leeds United in third. Yeah. They would have bitten your hand off. And they should what the owners have done for that football club. Yes, they came in a bit slow, but what Kieran McKenna has come in and done is they're such an entertaining team to watch. Yeah. Yeah. You you, you could put Ipswich Town on the West End or on Broadway and they wouldn't look out of place with Annie, with Hairspray, <laughs> with a lot of them. Um, you could put them next to Hades Town. They would look so much better and so much brighter than the dark depths of Hades Town. Uh, musical fans, if you like that one. Um, Lewis, just touching on Grady and Garner quickly. Uh, I mean, he's just, he's just become the apprentice. He's grown from the West Ham Academy. He's become like the Alan Sugar. He's grown so much this season. He's the apprentice. I mean, what a player he's been this season. Yeah, and he's also massively improved since the start of the season. It's now five goal contributions in his last five games. And just looking at this West Brom side, you said one of the best starting 11s in the championship. Look, they've actually got a fair bit of depth on that bench as well. They've got players such as Josh Madger, Semi Ajayi, and also John Swift on the bench, all of which very good talents as well. And if you look at this and the somewhat shaky form that Leicester and Ipswich have been on the past two, three weeks. Is that out of the question for West Brom to go for, for automatic promotion? Potentially. I think it's going, to be a, it's going to be a fact of keeping, I think, their players fit, isn't it? I think they've got an 18, and then below that, I think they're going to struggle. It's, if they keep their yeah. players fit, Corboran's obviously got experience doing this. I think it was <coughs> Huddersfield, I'm going to say. Yeah, yeah. It with. Um, so he's got experience in doing this. Um who knows? I don't particularly. No offense, sorry, sorry, all baggy fans. I don't particularly want to see you back in the Premier <laughs> League, but but for the financial state of your club, I do. After they took out, I think it was another loan on top of their twenty million pound loan this week as well. Oh man! So their, their owners are banking on them. I think near enough getting back to the Premier League. So from a financial point of view, I really hope you get promoted. 
but from a footballing neutral point of view, I'm sorry, I, I don't want you to get promoted. <laughs> it sounds like it needs to happen this year or next year, but definitely, yeah, uh, definitely want to keep an eye on. Uh, lastly, then, Lewis, we go down to Yorkshire, good old Yorkshire, um, because the Millers got a nice point against Leeds United. I think that's a good result for Rotherham. Yeah, certainly. As I said, Yorkshire Derby at the New York Stadium, which despite the home side getting off to a decent start, Crescencio Somerville fired Leeds into the lead with a lovely finish past Johansson. It was a great strike for him and despite Johansson's efforts to get close, I don't think many keepers would have had much of a chance to stop that. But Hakeem Adolphin responded just before the interval with an absolutely brilliant finish past Melier, and it was more than it deserved in this game too and will definitely be seen as a point gained for the Millers. This game was night and day, I think you'd agree, to their, compared to their previous performances under Matt Taylor. And there's just so much more optimism in the crowd, so much in the players, which it's a bit of a strange one because they've not even got the new manager in yet. They've got the assistant in, uh, something Carl, Wayne Carlisle, I think he's called. Yeah. And it's just... You'd think usually with caretaker manager, you know, he, he came with Taylor. You'd think he might have a similar footballing philosophy. Not much is going to change whilst he is in caretaker charge. But the power plan against Leeds to suck on the threat and hit them on the counter, and it worked. It worked brilliantly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Sam, I mean, it was a good point for Rotherham, but for Leeds... I think with where they're sat, I think it's probably just a blip for, for Daniel Farke. I, I think so. The, the attacking quality is there for everyone. You've got Somerville, Piro, James, Rutter, Nonto, Bamford, and then you've got Kamara and Ampadu. There, there is games where they are just going to have off days and they create 1.64 XG, had 18 shots, had three big chances and missed all three of them. Um, 653 passes completed. Everyone has an off day including the best players in the league. Um, but for Rotherham, Odofin, who's played literally every single, I think, position this year, other than goalkeeper, <laughs> got, got a well got a well-deserved goal. Um, I still think things are a little bit clicking in place for Leeds. Um, but I think once they click, they're going to... I think... I'm going to go out on a limb and say they will be the Championship's top scorers at the end of the season. Yeah, I think that I think there's potentially going to they're going to at least be up there as top scorers this season. Uh, just a note for transfer market and all those other sites. Just change Adolphin's pre- preferred position to all all suggested uh, because he can literally have said play anywhere. Um, this is in football manager, you're going to have one of these players where you search right back or right mid, and Adolphin is just going to have re- green absolutely everywhere. <laughs> Um, he's just going to take the box for everyone, isn't he? Um, yeah, guys, obviously it's been a pleasure again this week. Uh, a lot of drama, a lot of goals. Has it been a good week for the championship? It always is. Yeah, uh... yeah, championship, best league in the world, I still think. Yeah, Most competitive anyway. Yeah, championship's a a fantastic league. Uh, right then, guys, thank you very, very much for listening once again. Of course, please, please, please make sure you do follow Look Sports Media on all the socials, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. We are everywhere. We are taking over social media. Uh, So please, please, please go and follow all the socials. Look for Look Sports Media everywhere and you'll find us. Go listen to the League One, League Two and National League podcasts as well. For now, guys, Sam, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Lewis, thank you very much. Cheers, Chelp, very much. There we go. I am the C-H-A-L-L. We've been Lux Sports Media. It's a for now.